The lights come up. The camera focuses. You are somewhere between and the reality of your life is on show. We feel compelled to put on a show all the time and on the stage of life, it is filled with some award-winning performances that most will never get to see on stage. Not all of our stories are glamorous. I am Philip Clark. Join me today as we unearth the many roles of real people who share their journey and the lessons learned on that journey. Welcome to Lights, Camera, Real Life. Wonderful. So ladies and gentlemen, my friends out there, welcome to season two. Yes, season two of Lights, Camera, Real Life. And many of us would have listened to Lights, Camera, Real Life, season one. And uh, it was interesting how it all started. The pandemic came and everybody had to pivot. And I executed a lifelong desire of actually hosting a show like this. And I started off with Instagram. And here I am today. Now we're on YouTube. Can I imagine that? We're on YouTube and we are present Lights, Camera, Real Life, Season two, my name is Philip Clark. You hear what I'm saying? Yes. And this evening, look here, no man. I have a lovely friend. I have a lovely friend on the show with me this evening. And she is somebody who I really admire. I really want to say how much she, she inspires me from the first time we met. And I believe that she has something that she would share with you and she can teach you. I give it away already. And she will be able to just have a little chat and inspire us some more. Because I love to learn from the guests. You know, I really love to learn from my guests. So, ladies and gentlemen, help me to bring to the stage at this point in time, Miss Tamar Mackenzie, Mrs. Tamar Mackenzie. <laughs> How you doing, Tamar? I'm doing well, Philip. Thank you for having me. And congratulations on now the second season of Lights, Camera, and We Life. I'm really excited to be here. A little nervous, but look, excited. Look here, look here. Thank you so much. And thank you for being my first guest on season two. My very first guest. Look at me. Yeah. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Now, Tamar, may I have a little introduction here for you? You see, so if you'd allow me, I would just love to give you a little nice introduction. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so, the interest is a little peaked because I didn't give you an introduction, so I'm excited but nervous. So I know, I know, and normally I don't ask my guests for introduction because I make sure I have to do my research. Okay, that's the best. Type. That's the best type. Yes. So, Tamar, 
calls herself a wife, a mother, and a lifelong learner. She's a passionate young lady who is inspired and excited about educating people to become lifelong learners. I am particularly intrigued in one of her mission statements that she wrote when she was the principal and CEO of New Approach Academy. And she's currently the head of school of the Heinz Simonich School. And she's gonna tell you more about that. But one of the things that she, she talks about is being able to motivate children of all academic and developmental abilities to become lifelong learners, not to, be, to have a career, not to be a lawyer, doctor, teacher, but to become lifelong learners. Now, I was particularly interested in that. And so I had to get this guest on our podcast this evening because she's different. She not normal. I'm saying in Jamaica, normal ally. Yeah, may I pick it up. May I learn a new lingua. So ladies and gentlemen, I give to you Tamar. Tamar, I hope I did that justice a while ago. Yes, it's, it's funny how things move and how we, we have to be careful of what we put out there. So that was a good one, Philip. Very good. <laughs> very, yes. very good. So Tamar, this program is about learning life lessons and you're a lifelong learner. So you're right up the street. You're right up the street. I remember when I just, you know, experienced you, you, you were a, a, a passionate person and you still are, and you're passionate about people and you're passionate about education. Were you always like this as a child? Wow. Um, I think, so, I'll say this because I all, I'll, I'll reference one of my teachers who had a major impact on me. And up until recently, she died two years ago. She was my grade six teacher. And I remember meeting her. I kept going back, meeting her back as, um, as an adult or reintroducing myself to her as an adult. She would always say to me, you're the same person now as you were then. You're always very... Um, outspoken and real. Um, there's this lady, I always talk about her, Auntie Marcia. She was the neighbor who always kept me. She was that person who I would always stay with. And that's another thing she would always say to me. You're always very honest, always very raw, mm -hmm. you know, unfiltered, always very strong on owning where you are. So I would think from ever since, that's just been a major part of me to stand in who I am or where I am. But I, I would say that I am still passionate, but there's a lot of me now that is so much different. When he just said, you know, when you met me and I'm thinking about me then versus me now, right. we're, strangers. we're strangers in terms of space, mindset. I mean, there's been a lot of growing, a lot of pain, but lessons from it. Um, just a lot of growing up. So two different people. I think I'm still passionate, but I think the passion has matured. 
and with the passion has come patience. It has also bred perspective, which has really changed the approach to many things. Wow, that sounds really very interesting. Is it possible for you to share with us though, what accounted for that change? Um, a big part of, I think a lot of times we evolve or I would, and I, and I, and I won't be general, I'll be very specific. Mm -hmm. um, I think a lot of where I am now is the direct result of the spaces that I've been privileged to be in, the pressure points that have been applied as well as the opportunities that have come to the table, which would have forced um, maturity, that would have forced um, deeper thinking, just a different type of modeling, the people around me, association. So when I look at where I am now, the things or the, the spaces that I occupy, the roles that I play, I'm now a wife, I'm a mother. Um, that really changes the game because when I look at my girls, um, I have to really be an example to them primarily, right? So I'm big on not telling my children what to do, but leading in such a way where I would be happy if they respond as I do or if they were to model where I am. Ah, oh, no, I like the whole business of modeling. And you can remember when you were a child, and you look at your children now and you are like, wow, you know, I, I wonder where, where do they get this from? As a child, <laughs> as a child, well, let me go back. Well, okay, go ahead. I'll put it, I'll put it this way, Philip. Um, and it's something I've been very deliberate about parenting. I mean, you ask about the, the, what would account for the difference in me now versus then? A big part of it is ownership. I think where I stand today is that I stand in my past mm -hmm. in controlling my own experiences, owning my hurts, and confidently standing on it to the point where I am able to pass on to my children ownership of themselves where there is no fear or apologies in them just being, not needing to be accepted, but really understanding what works for them. So I'm big on them telling me if they don't want to, mm. and me allowing that. So if my kids wake up, and it may be very strange in the, in, in the seat I sit in secularly, but if I get up and my children don't want to go to school, I'm not going to force them. We're going to talk about it. I'm going to stop. If they have an accident at school or if they have a bad day, my world stops, work stops, and I'm going to focus on them because I want to give them what I didn't have in terms of time freedom. I want to give them what I didn't have in terms of embracing themselves as young women and just being confident to show up. I want to be that parent that allows them to fully understand their feelings, not to fit into any sort of mold. I tell them all the time, I have zero expectations. What I want is for my children to step into themselves and at their own pace. Tamar. And that's what I didn't get. 
Yeah, that yeah, be because, because as a child, when you remember, when you reflect as a child, how did you navigate through those things? The fact that you want to give your children that kind of life now, how do you navigate those things? And what can we learn from that? Or what did you learn from that as you navigated your way through as a woman, as a girl? Wow. I think growing up, you asked a question that I realized when you asked it, it put me back into a space. You asked me what was an early memory. And I remember the earliest memory for me was being wrong. Two memories came to mind. What I was remember being, was being wrong? Being wrong, oh. um, out of line, being disciplined for it. I was being disciplined, I think, for being a child. I'll give you the example. And the second thing that struck me when you raised it was, I remember it was a big moment and I was hurt in the moment because I didn't fit into that big moment of my parents' achievements. And it's something that I've had to manage. And it struck me when I became a parent. So it's funny how as you enter into roles as adults, Right. You start to unpack the things that you would have taken for granted or would have been through because it didn't connect. So when parenting came, as when I entered parenting, I deliberately started to reassess everything. One of the first things I did was I accepted that my parents were doing the best that they could have done with what they had and what they knew. And I was not proud of that but I forgave myself for the bitterness I had about the entire situation. And so I told myself I had an empty toolbox where parenting is concerned. I didn't have the best examples. I didn't have the best models around me in terms of what parenting looked like. And the truth is, if you don't come from a background of excellent parents or great human examples, you automatically think you can pull from others that you see who may have gotten it right. And in my humble opinion, it's so wrong. It's a farce because you never see the full picture. And their kids may tell you, it's not that. It's not all that it's cracked up to be. You don't know who my parents are. Mm -hmm. so I decided when I, when I was pregnant with my oldest, I started a journal for her. And I write in that journal as often as I can so she can get to know me. So if ever I am no longer here for whatever reason, God forbid, she would know where I was, what my mindset was, what I was going through as a wife, as a person, as a female, as an entrepreneur, as a school leader, what were my challenges and just whole parenting had to fit into that so she could get to know me as a person and I think in starting that journey in 2016 I also started another journey of discovering me and reading that going back to that and taking stock to a lot of the pain I had just going through life I can't relate to that person Mm. you know what I mean because yeah. of the growth right um but it's parenting for me has been a moment for me to dig deep and fill my parenting toolbox 
by first building the values in me that I know I have deficiencies for because I can't pass on what I don't have. And so if I want to pass on integrity, I have to be someone of integrity. I have to know what integrity looks like to me. One of the things that I knew was a big deficit for me, I never wanted my children to have that, was commitment. I struggled with commitment, sticking things through and they got hard. Right. Sticking things through and it's heavy. And what does that look like for them? You know, having empathy, owning your feelings. I don't want you to think you have to be happy all the time or be in a good space all the time, but how do you manage and how do you really share your feelings? How do you gauge your responses to situations and how do you fail? So a big thing in our home is you have to lose to win. We tell them all the time, you get a bad grade at school, great. Here's how we're going to learn from it. Here's how we're going to recover from it. We don't expect you to get it right all the time. We don't expect you to be first. We have zero expectations of you to be in every activity and to be here, there, and everywhere. But what I expect is that you're going to be honest. You're going to show up the best that you can. And you're going to always tell us how you feel. And that's what matters. Well, me the love for you for be my principal, you know, because I'm telling you, I don't think a lot of us know how to handle failure, how to lose, and just dealing with that fee the feelings and the inferiority and the rejection and all these kinds of things is very, not, very hard to okay, really deal it's with. It's not failure. It's not failure. It's not rejection. We not. put those labels ah. on experiences. I tell my kids, you're not a fridge. Nobody puts a label on you. Nobody gets to stick things on you and you leave it there. So you can't go to school. I remember when um, my, my oldest, she started grade one and she said to me, mommy, I'm not happy at school. I don't want to go back to school. And I said to her, why? And she said, mommy, the kids tell me I'm poor. I'm poor because I pack my lunch kit or I bring cooked lunch to school and I don't what are you have so we spoke it we talked about it and she, she told me everything she felt about it and how she felt about kids and everything about it and I said to her you know why does this make you upset and she said to me mommy daddy never told me that I am poor he told me I'm blessed he told me I'm rich he told right. me I'm this uh -huh. and that was a big aha moment for me because I said wow we put in her tank in her toolbox affirmations that she can go back to those are her reserves for when things get tough so nowhere in the situation she has it now we have to pick it up and apply it and put it into place mm -hmm. so it's it's almost like managing the negative experiences i don't put a lot of meaning to things like that so i never look at it to talk about mm -hmm. oh the kids don't know any better because of course they do. And the kids are doing as best as they can as well with what's in their toolbox. Mm -hmm. so I may not use those words in my home, but those words are being used in another home, right? And so, I mean, in that moment, I said to her, I said, listen, you just have to look at who you are. Are you? What are the things that make you rich? Since they're rich and you're poor, what makes you poor? What makes you rich? How do you feel? And what are the things that you have that are valuable? And that's like a test. That's a big parenting test. So when you say to your child, what do you have that is valuable? Mm -hmm. My child looked at me and she said, I have my mommy and my daddy. You know, I have my baby sister. 
I have, and she's talking about the people right. that she has, nothing that she has. And it's, it's, it's a big parenting test because it really gauges you in terms of what you need to work on. My takeaway from the experience though was, guess what? I need to help her to manage her expectations of those around her, not just build, you know, what she has or those affirmations, but I also have to let her realize that, listen, this world is coming at you fast. And even if you may not have a good day at school, you never retreat. You hold the ground. Mm-hmm. You stand up and you figure it out. Because yeah. that put me where I am. I right. never right. I never told me to go to to talk about those big feelings, but I had to stand my ground. So I'm never gonna take that from her to fight her battles. So as an educator, I never went to the teacher. For what? I don't have any expectations of the class or the teacher to manage that. Mm. What I did was to improve, step up my parenting. Tamar, you were not always in education. You were not always in that field. You were into banking at one point, was it? No, no. So initially... My, I started out doing human resource management. That's actually my background mm-hmm. and finance. Mm-hmm. I would say throughout the journey of going to university, teaching, tutoring, funded that. And in going to school full time, working full time, balancing all of the craziness and the pressure of that living on my own as well. I lived on my own, paid rent, had a car loan, all while going to university and working full time. What are you talking about here? I lived on my own from, I was, before my 19th birthday. At 19, I distinctly remember getting my first car loan. And I was living in my own apartment, Mm. going to school and paying real bills. Wow. Yep. And what did that teach you? I mean, clearly it matured you into the woman you are today. But what are some of the things that, especially some of the pitfalls that a lot of us young people got through? Young, a lot of us as young people, like say, but anyway. Mm. I don't know. I'll, 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 you say it's a real life, right? <laughs> that was, so I was. See, I started, let me tell you where I started from, to put it into context, because I don't want it to look like I just jumped out and went into the bank to get a loan. That wasn't what it was. Out of pain, I would say, I was forced to respond. When I was in high school, my older sister became ill. She was actually ill from I was in first form, but I didn't find out until I was in about fourth form. When I was in my final year of high school, it was the first time I really heard what her sickness was and I realized that she was going to die. And I realized that it was, for a better way of saying it, self-inflicted. So this wasn't like a hereditary disease or anything like that. This was the result of poor decision-making. And at the time, everything started to spiral out of control very quickly. And I learned about the entire situation almost to the tail end. So just to let you know what happened, right before I did CXC, my sister died. 
and I my entire life flipped upside down. I didn't have the best support from the teachers at school. In fact, I felt exposed. I felt like my family had a dirty secret and school found out all of my safe spaces turned me out. Instead of holding me together, I felt like they turned me inside out and everybody pulled a part of me and I felt like I was just being stretched. So church, I was very involved. I was raised as a Jehovah's Witness. Um, and that was one of the best things I can say happened to me as a child, just having that sort of space and exposure and knowledge and what it did for me. But then at that moment, I had no safe place. It's almost like walking into every room and knowing that you were already introduced because of something that you did not do. And people walking up to you, who you look up to, to say, I hope you don't turn out like this sister. I hope you make better choices. And my sister was a mother figure to me. I went home to her every day after school. I looked up to her. She was the prettiest person I knew. I wanted to look like her. I wanted to be like her. So this was a major problem. My entire world collapsed. And my response to the hardship was to work. And the harder the feelings came, the harder I worked. So I started tutoring. It kind of fell in my lap. I had a friend from church at the time whose daughter was preparing for GSAT, wasn't doing well. And I started teaching her on my mother's veranda on the weekend and she would pay me. She ended up doing very well. And she told the teachers, the teachers at school saw the change. The principal at her school at the time saw the change. It was Woolmans Prep. That past principal and I are now very, very close colleagues, very good friends. Um, and I got a job out of it. And the right people came, I would say, and I taught. And that gave me some level of financial freedom, which allowed me to, in a real way, pursue university, albeit difficult. Right. And the home side of things deteriorated significantly. And I got to the stage where I felt like I just couldn't breathe. I always tell people, I went through a phase where my throat kept burning. I kept screaming and no one could hear me. Mm. And I just moved out. I think it was a summer. My mother was going abroad and I moved. She went on the plane the same day she was at the airport. I moved out. There was a truck packing and I was moving. And I just never looked back. And it wasn't, my mother didn't do anything to me. In fact, I would have, going back now, I would have managed it differently. But at that time, I ran. And to be honest, I kept running for a long time, just running from that, that I felt kept coming up, that, that I kept, I was being judged for what I yeah. didn't do. Yeah. Um, but I kept working. I think I got my work ethic from my father. And I just, I just did it. I just kept teaching these kids and I kept doing my best that I could. I mean, there are some kids I didn't get good results for, but there are some kids that I was that incredible difference. I was their secret sauce and the parents encouraged me just like with everything else, you win and you lose, but I just kept pushing and education has just been that space where I feel good doing it. I think I'm good at it. And 
I feel like I always attract those kids, to be honest, who are screaming and no one is hearing. Wow. Yeah, I love that. I love that line. I love that line. Let me, let, no, let me repeat that line. I feel like I'm attracting students who are always screaming and no one is hearing. I like that. You know, that's a quotation that I'm going to actually put. Tamar McKenzie is the, is the author of this quotation. That line spoke to me. It speaks to me, Tamar, because the experiences that I've had with young people, I feel like the, all they want is someone to listen. And when that person listens, it's almost as if they open up like a flower. Ladies and gentlemen, my friends, we are speaking to Tamar McKenzie. She is the head of school of the Heinz Simonet School, and she is a powerhouse. She is an education professional, but she is a lovely woman who is just spitting out the gems for us today so that we can be better people. It's lights, camera, real life. So Tamar, Teaching, we're back to teaching. I would say that teaching is the single most important profession in the world. I mean, I apologize to nobody about it. I doubt me feel. What are your thoughts? I think teaching is important, but if it's one thing my teaching career has taught me is that you have to own when it's your time to step away when you need to step back, remove yourself from the space. And you have to be able to always be open to feedback. Teaching is important, but I do think that a big part of playing that role, to be that most important role for someone, yeah. you have to be prepared. And it takes a lot to do the job correctly. So I think it is one of the most important jobs, but I think it's one of the hardest jobs to get right. Why is it hard? It's hard because um, I love I'm it so you, much. You have you, you said I don't teach anymore. I don't actively teach anymore. I actually only teach character education now because I got to the stage where I embraced I needed to step away. I needed to be out of the classroom to help the classroom, and that was a painful decision that I took. Um, and I took it the my second. My last child, she was born in 2018. That was the last year of GSAT. And my health took a decline. I couldn't function anymore. It was a really tough time for me. And I decided I'm not going back in the classroom because one, my teaching style or how I would teach, I wasn't able to do it anymore. My memory wasn't what it was anymore. My energy level wasn't what it was anymore. When you and I met, you would see me running outside doing an experiment, coming back in, right. um, working on the board with some kids in the class and then moving another way with, an with another set of kids, right. creating centers in classrooms and just being on the go and having all of this energy. And I realized I wasn't able to deliver at that level anymore. And so I stopped. And I can tell you, I never stopped out. I didn't stop teaching and jumping to school leadership. I stopped teaching, stopped earning. I, I started to almost redefine myself as a professional because 
I was not going to go into the classroom and be frustrated anymore. And I was frustrated. The kids would annoy me. It was hard. Mm -hmm. And I realized that I was not adding value anymore to them or to myself. So I needed a different role now to be one more impactful, still work with the kids, but be in a space where I was happy and my purpose was still coming to the fore, but effectively. Yeah, what and I'm, that's where school administration came in okay. for me. What I'm getting from this though is that you recognize what your limitations were what your strengths are, and you decided to capitalize on your strengths so that the persons in front of you can benefit the most from your gift. That is so, so awesome. You started New Approach. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about the transition from New Approach Academy to Heinz Simonis School? So I started, started teaching that one little girl on my mother's veranda. As a student at Campion, while teaching at Campion, I got a job offer at GSAT Center. Um, it was GSAT Center and Max and more. And I would teach after school. So I would leave Campion, walk from Campion to that location, which was right at the stoplight at TGI. I would leave there in the evenings at six o'clock. So class ended at six. By the time you hand over the kids to the parents, it's 6.30. I would walk from there to halfway tree, take the bus from halfway tree to Portmore. That time we had the causeway. So it wasn't what it was now. So you sit in the bus in the traffic, get home by 8 30, 9 o'clock, and do my homework to go back to school. So that's how my career started as Auntie Tamar and not Miss, because I was in my uniform. Right. And there was a parent, I'll call her name until the day I die, because that lady believed in me before I believed in myself. Her name was Marsha Ann, Marsha Dunbar Green, Cordell Green's wife. And I mean, that lady was just, I mean, as a family, as a couple, they were just incredible to me. And she stepped into the class. I was teaching her daughter, Pia Milan. She took break. She was a judge at the time. I'm not sure if she's a judge now. And she took break to help her daughter prepare for GSAT. That was the strangest thing for me because who does that? I didn't come from that type of support. And she sat in the class and the kids kept saying, Tamar, Tamar. And she turned around with the sternest look on, look on her face. And she said, oh no, you don't. And she said, you're going to address her as Miss Tamar or Auntie Tamar, but we don't do first names in here. And Auntie Tamar came. And then I was just that person. And I left there and went to... I went to Hope Gardens. I ended up leaving there and eventually I stopped teaching. And she was one of the persons who called me and said, keep doing it, you're good at it. I left and started teaching one little girl under one of the gazebos in Hope Gardens. One turned to three. Three turned to a parent who said to me, Tamara, I love you. You're a good teacher, but my child not sitting in the sun to learn. Sorry. No, you need a space. <laughs> that turned uh. to me getting the door opened on a Saturday at IDT. And I tell you about favor. I would teach children at IDT on a Saturday. It was $1,000 per child for like three or four hours of classes. And I mean, every Saturday I was earning something like $27,000. It was so much money. I remember going home 
or going home on the bus excited to count this money and I would lay it all out. Because <laughs> and then that led to me getting in trouble there and meeting Anthony Irons, Tony Irons, who became a mentor for me for some time. And I ended up taking minutes in tribunal hearings, interest peaked in law, getting doors open, meeting powerful business people to support um, mentorship programs for me. Mm -hmm. And then life just kind of took a turn where I ended up going back to high school, getting a classroom to use, running summer camp, getting money to go to university, then losing that space because some people had an issue with it, just not stopping another parent saying, come on, you're earning money now, why not go rent a space? Renting a shop front, sharing a shop space in Ligony, paying rent in US dollars. And then wow. I just kept going. I just kept going and I just wouldn't stop. And meanwhile, with all of that happening that looked like it was going well, everything on the home side was just breaking down, breaking down. And I decided to just go with what was working, which was work. And so it wasn't a case where I went from New, New Approach didn't come out of the sky. New Approach, the name of New Approach came through some kids and one of my teachers who taught me in high school, I thought it was the biggest compliment I've ever gotten. She was one of my toughest teachers who never allowed me to accept where I was. Her name was Cheryl Collins Robinson. She was my IT teacher. I hated IT in school. And she said to me, you're going to do well. At the time, we had to do programming. And she said to me, you are smart. You just need to put in the work. And she sent her children to me to teach me for GSAT, for me to teach them for GSAT. I thought it was the biggest compliment mm -hmm. because I thought she was the best teacher ever. And then she trusted me with her kids. And she recommended so many people to me over the years. And she said to me, when I was trying to name the business at 18 years old, she said to me, Tamar, you have something special. And if there's something just very different about how you work with these kids. And she sat at the back of the room and she said, your approach, she said, write the word approach on the, on the, on the board. Uh -huh. And let's come up with some objectives. And we ended up at New Approach. And then New Approach broke out into many different things. Black and I did a performing arts. You, are, you piqued my interest with that, which built out into something so much different. Mm -hmm. um, and then it just kept growing and morphing and looking like many different things. And then Heinz Simonich came into play. Wow, what a life. Boy, I'm not telling you, what a life. But you know what? I'm listening to you and I'm noticing a trajectory, a path, a particular path. You followed your passion. You followed what made you feel comfortable. It's almost like you put on a shirt and the mm -hmm. shirt just fits. And you're like, hmm, I like this. And you've been Let's trying all these different shirts all the time and you say, mm -mm, I don't think that this is it or no, this is too tight or this is too long. And you put on this shirt and you're like, you know, I'm gonna run with this. And you're, you've been running with it. And it's like doors start to open for you because you are in purpose. 
How important well, is purpose to you? I've always taken it for granted until probably the last five years. I've always taken my passion for granted. It's People talk about the pain of trying to figure out why you're on this earth and what you're supposed to do. Nobody really talks about the pain of knowing what you're supposed to do and not doing it fully or not wanting to do it or not doing it properly or not having the tools to pursue it. And that's, I think, a bigger pain because you know what you have, you know when you're fumbling and you struggle with that feeling of unfulfillment. Right. And I resented that I was doing education for all those years. I was working at different levels in education and that was my story. That was my career path. I resented it. I mean, I felt like I could have been anything and I became a teacher. I went to Campion. I did so many subjects. And I'm a teacher. I mean, you could have the nicest car in the world. I'm a teacher. <laughs> yeah. And it, 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 I think the first time I became proud of what I did was when I met my husband then. And he said to me, you don't even realize how powerful it is that you're able to teach how you teach. And he said to me, I'm going to help you to see as best as I can that you're not just teaching people's children. Because I felt like I was too smart to just teach people's children to pass GSAT or to teach people's children to get a subject in CXC or to help you to do Comtas because people would always say, you're so good at Comtas. How do you get boys to write stories? How do you get these, how do you get them to love story writing? Mm -hmm. And I just felt like, why did I, why didn't I stay in university? Why didn't I do this? Why didn't I pursue this? Why didn't I move on or switch that degree or do something else? Why did I just stay in education? But Coming into or being in the right spaces and being around people who are, I would say, very controlled or very strong in their sense of self and very, I would, I would want to say open as well, because you have to be honest to create a certain sort of space of sharing who can really share their experiences with me, the good parts, the bad parts. The ugly parts, it helps me to embrace that, you know what, my journey is mine. My road or my success looks different and that's fine. It has nothing to do with a title or any sort of importance. It's what drives me. So at the end of the day, I, I'm happy in the fact that I wake up and run to work in the morning. Wow. I wake up on a Saturday morning and I'm happy to open my work bag. On a Sunday, I'm excited to think about school or in my social setting, I can add value to everybody around me because of what I know or my experience. So I don't have that pain anymore, but it would be remiss of me to come and say to you, oh, I jumped out of opening this school and going into this space or I know this is my title. No, I started, on, I started on my mother's veranda. I went under a tree in the hot sun working. I had many different challenges with that. I've been through it and I stuck it out. So the journey, and it's something that I find a lot of people who know 
have a certain level of success, we, can, we tend to jump over it. Yeah. And people are going to jump over it because right. when people are in that spot now and feel that they're not capable or feel less than, when you just need to keep going. Absolutely. And I see, I see how you, you're inspiring me, you know, you're inspiring me right as so right you now. Ladies and gentlemen, we are speaking to Tamar McKenzie. She's the head of school of the Heinz Seminary School located in Montego Bay, Jamaica. And she is sharing with us her fabulous journey, her journey that sometimes she never want to do it. She never believe in it. She never think, no, this is it. She never feel like, oh, I'm living my purpose and this is what I need to do. No, sir. She struggled with it. It's almost as if you're struggling with your own self. And we, I mean, all of us who are real people know, know that. that sometimes we struggle with our own self. We're trying to fight ourselves. We're trying to understand ourselves. Tamar, I really want to thank you for really sharing that. When you look back, when you look back at your life, and you said something earlier about a journal that you write uh, to, you, to, to, your, to your child when your first child was, was born and you would write a journal and you said, you know, for whatever reason that you may not be around, you'd, at least you'd have this so that she could get to know you. What do you want your legacy to be? What would you like your legacy to be? I think if it's one thing, um, I would, and I, and I talk about it to the students at school. I mean, I teach PD now, I teach personal development now. I'll say, it, I, I was dealt a bad hand. I got excellent opportunities along the way. I fumbled with them. I got big openings and fumbled, but I never stopped. I kept going. And I think there is something impressive about turning up and working with what you have. And if it's one thing I'm proud of, is that I kept going and I stayed true to me. I never put on a face. I right. never been to really try to sit at tables that didn't welcome me. I stay in my lane. If you love me, you love me. If you don't love me, that's how it goes. But I kept going, even when the odds were against me. Like Even when I knew I was going to fail, I kept at it. And I may not have always got me it, but I got what I needed at the right time. Mm. You got what you needed at the right time. Mm -hmm. And it's one, it's one of the things that I'm big on. I'm big on. Like, I, I think about it all the time. Even when I'm losing, God shows up for me in, in different ways and shows me just, just keep going. I always get those little nudges of encouragement. Just keep going. Keep being faithful to the little things. And everything falls into place. So I'm, I try to be as diligent as I can be. I try to do my best. Even when I'm tired. Even when I don't want to. I show up. I give what I have. It may not be my best effort, but right. it's the best I can do that day at, at that the time. time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. And I'm going to own the mistakes. So if you call me out on something, I'm going to say yes. That's been me. Because your mistakes, your, you didn't call it failures, your lessons, everything that happens to you is a part of who you of are. Me. Makes you you. And you can't beat me. You can't beat me for being me because at the end of the day, guess what? 
none of us are perfect. And I take great pride in my failures because my failures have given me, I think, this incredible perspective and just this grounding that no one can take from me. I'm a better wife. I'm a better mother. I'm a better person because of the, 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 the bad decisions I've made. I've recovered. Yeah. But it sounds to me, though, that even though you say you were dealt a bad hand, it's, you, you, you sound like the individual who said, well, boy, when life throws you lemons, you, you make lemonade. I right? think I made a frozen lemonade with some ah. cherries. Ah. Ah. I made one heck of a frozen lemonade. <laughs> wow. How do you, how do people respond and react to you? Because you are a strong woman. And I not get too much in this enough, but you know, there are a lot of people who say, boy, men don't like strong females these days not because true. You know, they are intimidated or whatever it not is, or, you know, what has been your experience? Not true. I think, you know, when you say that, I remember when I was in my last year of high school, I think it was, we read this with the, with the taming of the shrew. And I played that part in high school and I resented that because early adult life, I felt like I played that role or it be, I, I started to take it on. And I said to myself, I'm never going to be around people who want me to quiet down or who want me to deal. I was always very sure about that. Right. I had to be around people who fed my energy, who made me come alive. And I really don't think so. I think there's space for us with big personalities and a lot to see. And we have a little spunk. We know what we want and we're not taking less than that. So if I want sliced bread, there's no way you're going to let me slice it myself. I want it this way and I'm not stopping. And it's yeah. there for me. It's there yeah. for me. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I think it's there. We just have to keep, we just have to understand what our ask is, clearly define it and live it. So I knew what I wanted in terms of partnership, in relationship. And I learned that the hard way. I didn't have that as an example. I learned from bad experiences. I knew what I wanted out of motherhood. I knew I was never going to be the mother who my children come first, second, and third, and I came in wherever. I'm not that parent. I'm going to go and do my hair. My nails are always going to be done. I'm going to take me time. And I don't want to be with them all the time. And I clearly defined what it needed to look like for me. And I ran with it. Is it okay, no? Is it okay, though, not to be sure of what you want? Of course. And I think there's great beauty in that sort of self-discovery. I think, though, sometimes people get caught up in the noise, especially now with social media, where you're looking at other people, what appears to be their life, and you want that's what they have. And so that eliminates your search of self because you're taking these pre-packaged messaging. You're taking this that you're being sold and you're not really figuring you out. I don't think if I were coming up now, I would be here and as successful. Wow. That would have derailed me. And it's something I'm even conscious about on social media. So I'm very guarded in how I post. So I am never going to post everything for you to think this is my life. And this is, this is not it. 
yes, there are nice things and there are good moments, but there is so much pain. Yeah. So I have to manage that my packaging because I'm never going to sell that messaging of just what pretty things look like. Because the pretty things sometimes come in very ugly packages and I, I had to work for them. I had to work for these little moments that I can post in a second. You don't see that. You don't see the last night I had where I went to bed at 1 a.m. and jumped up at 5 a.m. and had appointments and I was feeling at my lowest this morning and I had to just dig deep and just push through the day. You don't see that. You don't see the back-to-back meetings I had today. didn't eat until very late. and You don't see that, but guess what you see? You may see probably something really nice or a really nice meal and you're thinking oh that's so nice look at the office look at the light look at the clothes look at the that's not it pretty things come in ugly packages of course (laughs) of course tamar i want to thank you so much for being my guest this evening I feel like you know the time is just going so fast and yet there's a, so much that I'm getting from this conversation. I truly enjoy this moment. Before you go, there's one question I wanna ask you. One dig and dig question. If you had one young person listening to this conversation this evening, what is that one thing that you would want that young person to know? You have what it takes. You already have what it takes. You don't need anything else. You have everything you need. Just dig deep and keep going. Shut out the noise, focus on you, and just keep grinding, keep going. Even when it looks like it's never going to happen, even when the odds are against you, even when the people who should be protecting you are telling you it's never going to happen, even when there is nothing around you to be proud of, even when there is more hurt than there is happiness, even when you don't have anything but breath itself, keep going and God is real and he will reward you. And sometimes... It is as simple as crying out and just laying it on the table and asking for help. And the right people will come. The right doors will open for you. It may not be the doors you want. It may not be the people that you want. My angels came in human form. They came in the strangest of people and they gave me what I needed. And it was just encouragement. Sometimes it was just the right word to keep me going. Just listen look, feel everything and just never give up on yourself because you have it. You absolutely have it. You have it. You hear that? When I hear that, you have it. You have what it takes. Tamar! Bless Kili. you. You, you, you are a wonderful gem. I, I, I feel fuller having you here this evening and I, I am sure everybody who listens to this interview, this conversation, this moment, will have a lot of things to take away. Tamar, it was my pleasure seeing you and having you and experiencing your spirit and your energy again one more time. 
What good, my love. It was great. Thank you, Philip. Thank you for having me, Philip. It's, 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 it's happy that you're now able to experience me now in this space and knowing me then. Yeah. And I really want to wish you all the success, Philip. I see your heart in this. I see, you know, your purpose in this too. And that common thread of leaving nuggets of goodness behind. So thank you for inviting me. And thank you for keep doing it. You're most welcome. And thank you for the encouragement. Thanks again for tuning in. Check in next week for another episode of Lights, Camera, Real Life. You can also listen to this episode again on Spotify, Google, or anywhere you get your podcasts. And please, like, subscribe, and share this channel.